what's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the BuckoCast. Josh Taylor here with you for another table setter. Wasn't able to be in last week, was out of town, so missed last week's table setter, but back at it for the week of May 6th, and of course joined by my trusty dog, Hannah, who decides that she wants to join my side immediately when I start recording. So thank you, Hannah. Always good to have you next to me. I know. I know. We'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that in a second. There's a lot to talk about. I know you want to talk about the pitching matchups, and I know you want to talk about Brian Reynolds. We'll do that, I promise. And no, we cannot play with your flamingo toy right now. Anyway, <laughs> third time in a row my dog makes an, <laughs> makes an appearance on the podcast. Anyway, let's get into this because there's a couple things we need to talk about from this past week that have been both great and amazing and troublesome and frustrating and questionable. Uh, amongst other things, a lot of things you got to delve into here um, to set the table. Of course, for the upcoming week, two games against the Texas Rangers at PNC Park beginning on Tuesday. Then, of course, four games on the road going to the dreaded Bush Stadium. They're going to face St. Louis. If you've ever heard me opine on this team and facing the Cardinals, you know how I feel about the Cardinals. The Cardinals show up and they get all cardinally and do cardinally things, and somehow win games. And I say all that knowing full well that the Cubs just came to town and gave St. Louis all they could handle. Uh, So it really does change things up. But St. Louis right now in first place at 21 and 14. Uh, The Cubs right behind them at 19 and 13. Milwaukee in third place at 21 and 16. Pirates in fourth place slightly above 500 at 16 and 15. And the Reds, of course, being the Reds in last place at 15 and 20. With all that said, we want to set the table for the upcoming week. Usually what I do is I kind of set the table for the week first and then I go back the previous week towards the end. I want to to kind of change that up. I want to switch some things up. I want to go back and talk about the previous week because there was a lot to break down from the week. There were some great things that happened. There were some not so great things that happened. And there were some what the hell is going on things that are happening from last week. So we will start with the line of the week, the best hitting performance from last week. I'm going to go with Brian Reynolds for a couple different reasons. One, I have picked either Josh Bell or Melky Cabrera. I should say Josh Bell and or Melky Cabrera every time I've done a table setter. So I wanted to pick somebody different. And besides the fact that Brian Reynolds kind of deserves it. Um, 18 plate appearances uh, in the last week. He was 6 of 16, a couple of doubles, a home run. Drove in four with a couple of walks and just one strikeout in 18 plate appearances. Brian Reynolds continues to do what he was brought up to do, which is fill in the outfield spot somewhat admirably and see if he can maintain the way he's hit throughout the course of the minors. I had Jason Rollison on my radio show this past Sunday morning, and he talked about how Brian Reynolds in each level in the minor leagues hit around 300, OPS around 800. It's been that same recurring theme in each level of pro ball, so it wouldn't be too unrealistic to hope he can maybe maintain the same thing. But for him to do what he's doing this quickly, I think catches a lot of people off guard. But when you break it all down, Brian Reynolds has been really, really good. It's not worth, you know, really wringing the numbers out over or wringing your hands over when it comes to the sample size, whether it's a big one or a small one. The fact of the matter is Brian Reynolds has been good and he's been consistent. That's the thing. It gets, you know, it kind of gets a bad ending to the hitting streak. You know, ending it at 11 games, he comes in off the off the bench and has to hit in a situation where he's pretty much coming off the bench cold. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, does not get on base, so the hitting streak comes to an end. 
kind of a disappointing situation for him. But at the same time, it still speaks to a testament of 11 really, really impressive games for Brian Reynolds. So I would not be one to begrudge him as far as what he's done in just the past week alone. Really impressive work from Brian Reynolds. As far as pitchers go, the pitchers week in review, uh, there were a couple guys that stuck out to me. Both of them are relievers. It would have been really easy to pick out Felipe Vasquez because, yeah, he was really good. He pitched four times, uh, three save opportunities, converted all three of them. In a couple of those games, he just looked downright filthy. Uh, it would have been easy to pick Felipe Vasquez, but I'm going to go in another direction. I'm going to go with Kyle Crick, another guy who had four appearances last week, actually pitched well on four of them, and you can argue he pitched better than Vasquez did because Kyle Crick, four appearances, four clean, perfect innings. Didn't allow a hit, didn't allow a walk. I like that from him. I like seeing that from Cal Crick. Struck out a couple guys, even earned himself a win. I'm totally okay with the thought of Cal Crick being the eighth inning guy moving forward. I think he has earned it. And who else is there? There's that whole thing too. There's just a lot to really break down from it. But who else is there really as far as who can be you know the eighth inning guy? It looks now... Where they're struggling to find consistency in the bullpen, which they have been for a while now. But now they're struggling to find consistency in the rotation because two of their top five guys are not there. Chris uh, Chris Archer has already been out. Now no Jamison Tyone. So it's, it's starting to become, you don't want to call it a mass unit yet, but man, it's getting close. And I, I thought Rob Beertemple's piece in The Athletic where Stephen Brault used the word, uh, he says, it's a word that begins with cluster. <laughs> I don't think he's wrong. And Stephen Broughton now is going to have to start one of those games against the Rangers. He will start, I believe, on Tuesday uh, up against uh, Adrian Sampson, former Pirates farmhand uh, at PNC Park. So to hear it from one of the own one of their own people in the pitching staff saying, "Hey, this is a really ugly situation," and using a term that you don't like to use a lot to describe your own, your, you know, your own backyard, but that is the case with the Pirates pitching staff. But uh, getting it back to center here, I, I do like what Kyle Crick has done. Uh, in the period of time since he came back off the I.L. and he's been fantastic. I think he and Vasquez right now as an 8-9 pair works for me. I'm not going to argue about it. I'm not going to complain about it. Both those both those guys have been impressive, but I love what they've done in this past week. Moment that stood out. I'm going to go with two of them. I think the comeback win Saturday and the comeback win Saturday were both meaningful from that perspective. And I thought they were meaningful because they needed some of their key guys in both of those comebacks. Saturday, they're down three runs. They score those three in the first inning, and it's really easy to think, oh, crap, here we go again. This is going to be another long day. Until third inning, Josh Bell solo home run. Then, or I should say, I think it was in the third inning. Then after that, Josh Bell comes up again. Two-run shot. That ties the game. But then Oakland gets the lead back. It's 4-3, to three, and you're thinking, oh boy, here we go again. Then enter Kevin Newman, big two-run triple that gets the lead back. Francisco Cervelli, another one of their key guys, adds on the insurance run. Pirates close it out. They get the win Saturday. Then there's Sunday. For the record, this Sunday comeback went against Oakland, this 13-inning absolute redemption story. I'm now referring to it as the shut-up game. And if you don't know what I mean, I thoroughly invite you, go check it out. If you have the MLB.com app, if you have the AtBat app, 
Go back and look at the videos from, from Sunday's game. Just look at Starling Marte's game-winning uh, three-run home run into the bullpen, which, by the way, was absolutely smoked. And the way he got the bat around on it, the clean pop off the bat, it didn't look like it at first. But when you saw that thing just become a high-rising line drive that lands in the bullpen, good Lord, Marte just tattooed that ball. But that's not my point. My point is, watch the video of that walk-off home run. And listen to the radio call from Greg Brown and Steve Blass. Now, in fairness, Greg Brown's doing Greg Brown things. Shout out to Brownie. I, lo- I love the work Brownie does. And he does a great job of just painting the picture. Starling Marte. We'll have a Marte Parte. Three-run walk-off home run. The Pirates win in the 13th. Raise the Jolly Roger. And he goes through his entire, entire spiel. And the first two words you hear from Steve Blass, shut up. It was absolutely amazing. I loved it. It was a great moment. It's one of my favorite all-time Steve Blass calls. It's 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 not exactly Lord help us and save us, cried Mrs. McDavis. It's not that good after the Pedro walk-off a few years back. It's not as good as that one, but man, it's close. Steve Blass, I, it, I, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, and a lot of people reacted to it um, with both likes and replies, but that call, that, that shut-up call from Steve Blass, it, it kind of makes me realize what we're going to be losing with Steve Blass leaving the radio booth or the, the broadcast booth because both TV and radio, the, the team switch sides. But it, it does help you realize what you're going to lose. And, you know, in the, the small bit of time, the five or so years that I've been doing play-by-play and color commentary for uh, both college sports and high school sports, it, it, it's, it's one thing when you have the opportunity to do it. It's another thing when you get to hear it and see it a lot and you just know who the fun people are. You, you know who you enjoy listening to. And one of the guys I've always enjoyed listening to is Steve Blass. Steve Blass was one of those people as a broadcaster, or still is because he's not done yet, but Steve is one of those guys that makes the game entertaining. He makes the game fun. But at the same time, when something exciting happens, you're going to get his, his 100% honest and pure reaction and I love it it's hilarious at times it's it's entertaining at times and it's memorable but I I love the shut up call from Steve Bless by the way I I talked with Jason about this off the air part of me just a part of me is hoping that this is a turning point either for this team or maybe even Starling Marte as a player so that way we can come back and mark that particular moment as, hey, that was the shut-up game. This is what the Pirates have done since the shut-up game. Or this is what Starling Marte has done since the shut-up game. So if you ever hear me mention the shut-up game in the future, that's the day I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I believe that's what, May 5th? Uh, that Sunday, where the, the um, three-run walk-off home run by Starling Marte and Steve Blass, Steve Blass excuse me, just infamously shouts, Shut up. So that will be referred to me for me, forever known as the shut up game. I think it was absolutely ridiculous. I think it was amazing. I think it was a great moment for that team having to come back and win both of those games after thoroughly getting kicked around on Friday night. They come back Saturday, get two home runs from their cleanup hitter to tie the the game, and then they get a big two-run triple um, later on to give them the lead, and they held on to it. Then on Sunday... They get a big comeback, and two of their their most important guys were in the middle of it. Adam Frazier was there. Um, Jung Ho Gung was on base during the Marte home run. I don't think he's one of their most important guys, but I do think he's a guy that has to try to be at least 
more consistent and be a little bit more of a contributor if this team is going to accomplish anything remotely meaningful. But a couple of their main guys, Adam Frazier, Starling Marte, getting that rally going in the 13th to make the difference in that game. So yeah, I, I, those are moments for me that stand out. The, the shut-up game will stand out to me probably for the majority of the season as one of the most memorable moments of this entire 2019 season. This has been a lot of, of fun to to really kind of break that moment down, and, and that's definitely a moment that stands out for me. Key pitching matchup as we go into this upcoming week. Of course, we mentioned the two games against Texas at PNC Park. Of course, they played two games in the Dallas-Fort Worth area last week, and they do the, the four-game, two-home and two-home with interleague opponents, and they're going to do that, at least the, the latter part of it, this week coming up, two games against the Rangers. We talked about Stephen Broad against Adrian Sampson on Tuesday, but for me, the key pitching matchup is Shelby Miller versus Nick Kingham on Wednesday for a couple different reasons. One, Nick Kingham is a guy who's had to do a lot of different things. He's had to take on a lot of roles. He's had to take on you know, kind of a long relief role. He's had to do some short relief. He's had to close out a game and earn his first save. And what what's interesting to me with, with Nick Kingham is I think he's had some situations where things have not always been kind to him. 12 and two-thirds innings, he struck out 13 with six walks. Of course, the walks were a little high. Um, he's given up only one her- one home run, but also nine earned runs in that span. So that looks bad on him, a 6-3-9 ERA. His FIP suggests that maybe he's been a bit unlucky. His FIP is only 3-5-4. But a couple of things are still promising for me with him. Uh, I'm interested to see what he can do in a starting role. So... When Wednesday comes around, expect a lot of NickKakaKingham.com references because they're going to happen, especially if he pitches well. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, if you've never heard of Jeff Dunham, just forget I said anything. Those of you Jeff Dunham fans, you know what I mean when I say NickKakaKingham.com. He's the guy on Wednesday starting against Shelby Miller. The other reason why this matchup is interesting to me, because it's Shelby Miller, the guy who for some odd reason... Can't seem to figure out what's going on uh, against the Pirates. He, he continues to struggle against that team. So it, it's it, it's interesting for me. I, I, I look at what I look at what he's done in his career when he was a Cardinal. I believe the short time he was a Diamondback. He was also a Brave. Now he's a Texas Ranger. So there's that situation too. But. This is a guy who has struggled repeatedly against uh, this team, and it kind of ties into my key hitting matchup, which is Starling Marte in particular against Shelby Miller. This is an even more interesting thing. We could talk Shelby Miller against the Pirates all day. You want to talk about the one guy who probably owns Shelby Miller in this lineup? It's Starling Marte. In 22 plate appearances against Miller, he's 9 for 21. He has two doubles, uh, or excuse me, two triples, a double, a home run, and a walk. He has not struck out a single time against Shelby Miller in 22 plate appearances. So he's either putting the ball in play and or getting on base when he faces Shelby Miller. That's pretty crazy. Um, he, he's slashing out at 429, 455, and 810. An 8-10 slugging percentage in 22 plate appearances against Shelby Miller. So Starling Marte is the guy I'm going to have an eye on when it comes to Wednesday as he faces Shelby Miller. Then there is the guy that they will miss. And this is a very, very important thing because it's going to be this way for at least a few more weeks. They're going to miss Jamison Tyone for a couple of different reasons. They're really going to miss him this week when they start that four-game series in St. Louis because, you know, I, 
I'm trying to remember where he would have been slated to pitch. I would imagine it would have been one of these Texas games. I can't remember the schedule off the top of my head. But if there was a guy they could have really used going into Bush Stadium in St. Louis, it was Jamison Tyone. He started three games there. He's won two of them, ERA of 171, 21 innings, 17 strikeouts, allowed only uh, one home run with five walks. He's been really good during his time in St. Louis. He's holding opposing batters to a 157 batting average, 213, uh, 213 on base percentage, 229 slugging percentage when he starts at Bush Stadium. So, yes, this team will miss Jamison Tyone, but not only in St. Louis. They will miss him for the next month. It's no secret when you talk to people involved with this team. And this is considering the fact that Chris Archer has a pretty decent resume. I mean, he's a guy who's pitched pretty well in the earlier parts of his career. So his reputation preceded him when he came here. As far as a guy who could strike out a lot of batters, had some at least some had at least some electricity in that fastball, and came in as a high energy guy, good clubhouse guy, um, a player that his teammates have grown to like, and fans from Tampa just could not say enough about Chris Archer when he came over, and they, they were really voicing how much they were going to miss him in that area. So he's a fan favorite too, uh, at least coming from Tampa, he was. So everybody knew what Chris Archer was, or what Chris Archer is. But going into this season, you ask the guys in, in that pitching staff, they'll tell you J-Mo's the guy. They will tell you he's the one that's pretty much out in front. Um, even last season, he embraced the fact that he wanted to have a role as a leader. That was just his intent from the beginning. And that was how he wanted to move about it. And that was how... They were following him, and then as J-Mo went, the rest of this pitching staff was going to follow behind. Now, I say all that completely understanding that of all the five starters this season, Tyone probably has had the worst go of the, of the five, but at the same time, it, it was no secret that he was the man out in front. And no Jamison and Tyone for about a month. Um, the, the elbow issues with him can't throw for at least a month, so who knows when he starts throwing again? Who knows when he starts throwing simulated games? Who knows when he gets his rehab assignment? By the time it's all said and done, when it all plays out, even after he starts throwing, we, we might not see him in a major league game for up to two months, depending on how things go. Or who knows, it could be even longer. But this team will totally miss Jamison Tyone and, and everything he brings, not only as a pitcher, but what he brings as a leader and, and just as a player and a person. I don't think anybody in the entire city of Pittsburgh, as far as Pirate fans go, would, would disagree that Jamison Tyone is a quality quality human being um, and that completely goes outside of uh, the cancer diagnosis and treatment and the return from that he, he's been a guy who's been an example in this community he fits right in there with Chris Archer with guys who just they just seem to get it they seem to understand who they are what they do and what it means to so many people and in the value of just being a good person and I think Jamison Tyone has a lot of people rooting for him um, me personally being a guy that's covered him in the media but also um, watches baseball as a fan. You know, I, I, I tend to draw certain players out of the, the crowd that are guys that I root for personally just because of the, of the people that they are. Jamison Tyone, for me, is one of those guys. So I'm definitely wishing him well as he recovers from that elbow ailment. In the meantime, that is it for us. We will be at it again next week with the table setter for my trusty assistant, Hannah, who is now half asleep because I guess she got bored with me not paying her attention while I'm trying to record this podcast. For Hannah, I'm Josh Taylor. See you next week.